Everyone to episode 115 of Some Like It's Got, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we have an appropriately themed movie to discuss, given the recent all-consuming political happenings in the U.S. But before we get to that, with me today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, I know this week has been a real mixed bag. We'll say probably more good than bad on, on the whole, but uh, I'm going to ask, how are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, today has been a little bit of a tough day just because uh, the news that uh, that Alex Trebek passed away hit me a little bit harder than uh, it maybe hit a lot of other people just because, uh, although, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's hit a lot of people hard too, I think, just because, uh, you know, that's that's how he was. It was, Jeopardy is the type of show that you put on every night, you know, with your family and, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans over the years have probably watched at, at least one episode with Alex Trebek hosting Jeopardy. And um, if you're like me, you watched it religiously. Literally, my parents talked about how when I was a kid, um, I was an infant. Um, I would come running to the TV whenever the Jeopardy music would start playing. So it's always been a part of my life. Like, you know, I'm obviously very into trivia. I host trivia nights for friends. I attend a lot of trivia things, playing online leagues, and I don't think I would be doing any of that if not for the influence that Jeopardy and Alex Trebek um, had on me from a young age. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, he was a great person. That could come across on the show as well. Um, and so it, it's, it's very sad news. You know, I knew it was coming for a while since he announced the cancer diagnosis, but, you know, I still wasn't ready for it to just happen today in the afternoon. I mean, I've just been watching the episodes um, you know, from this past week, like, you know, totally normal. He, he's totally normal. And he was filming up until October 29th or something I saw. Um, and I think the way the schedule works out right now, um, the last episode is going to be on Christmas Eve. His last episode is going to be on Christmas Eve uh, is what I saw. I don't know if that's how it worked out or if they're delaying and waiting to do that on Christmas Eve just because, but um, either way, I will have a lot of emotions when that is happening, I'm sure. Um, because, you know, when you invite someone into your home every night, whether you've ever met them or not, you know, you consider them a friend. And that's how I felt about Alex Trebek. So I, uh, the, the death hit me today as it would if, you know, your friend died. So um, tough. But yeah, as you said, you know, a good weekend. Otherwise, I finally landed a job. So I'll be moving back to North Carolina in a couple of weeks. So that. Uh, Congratulations. Made, thank you. Thank you. That made things a little less sour, I guess. Uh, after hearing the news today. Yeah. And not to spend too much time dwelling on politics, but since we're going to be dwelling quite a bit on politics today, I think during the movie review, can't also hurt to say that the results of the election this past week, although very stressful, I think at oh. least I can only speak for myself, was a relief. Yeah. The less bad outcome occurred. That's what I will say. Yeah. I think that for many people, they probably feel the same way um, as you're talking about, because I think certainly one option, much worse than the other but we can leave that there and we can i think go ahead and pick up uh the movie that we're going to be discussing today and that is a movie which if someone had asked you scott i think you probably would have said no way would ever review 
this movie on the podcast. Yet here we are as we will be reviewing the Jason Walliner directed Sasha Baron Cohen led mockumentary comedy film Borat subsequent movie film reprising his outlandish Kazakh character from the 2006 original. This unexpected 2020 sequel picks up 14 years after that first movie and finds Baron Cohen's Borat serving a life sentence in a gulag from which he is released by the new Kazakh premier tasking Borat with an important mission to deliver the Kazakh minister of culture, Johnny the monkey to soon to be former us president, Donald Trump in an attempt to redeem the nation of Kazakhstan. As is to be expected, Borat's assignment goes pear-shaped rather quickly as his defecation on the landscape of Trump International Hotel and Tower from the previous film makes his ability to confront Trump dicey at best and instead opts to deliver the gift to Trump's vice president, Michael Pence. However, upon arriving in the U.S., Borat discovers that he will have to improvise further when he finds that Tudor, played by Maria Bakalova, his 15-year-old daughter, has snuck into the shipping crate and eaten Johnny the Monkey. Of course, it is a Borat movie, so from there, many, many more hijinks ensue in the vein of the original, yet something about this iteration's hijinks feel all the more pointed, real, and ultimately problematic. Scott, I'll stop there and simply ask, does the humor and message of this Borat sequel resonate with you, or did you find this to be just more noise on a political landscape overloaded with deafening commentary? Yeah, so I'm relatively new to the uh, Borat mythology, I guess. You know, you you told me, you were the one who told me about this sequel coming out, I guess, a month or so ago when the trailer came out. And I was kind of like, okay, I don't really care. Um, I'm not a comedy, big comedy person, you know, as as I think our listeners will probably know. I've never seen, I had never seen the first Borat. Um, but a lot of people were talking about this movie, right? This is This is a movie, like... Not many movies have been very talked about in 2020 just because of the way that the year has gone. There's been a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um, but Borat, too, you know, has been an, an example of a movie that, you know, was, was making the rounds on social media. A lot of people seem to be watching it. And so, you know, when we had this open week, I was like, OK, I'll suck it up. We'll do it um, just because it is the big movie that's out right now. So I did watch the first Borat last week. Um, and, you know, my my impression when watching the first movie is like, I don't think I really knew exactly what Borat was until I started watching the first movie. Like, I knew it was a mockumentary. Right. But when I think of mockumentary, I think of like a Christopher Guest movie or like this is Spinal Tap or something like that, where it's all made up. Right. It's it's a it's a documentary style, but everyone's a fictional character. I mean, I'm sure at some point I knew that like, oh, this the majority of this film is like his interactions with real life people who don't know that, you know, exactly what they're part of. Um, but I didn't understand the extent to which it uh, went to until I started watching the movie. And I have to say, you know, it's it's an effective movie. I understand why it had the impact that it did. I, you know, I did find it funny at times. At other times I was watching through my fingers because of how uncomfortable it made me, um, which, it, you know, is part probably part of the point as well. Um, but also I think my problem with it was just that some of the stuff he did was so outrageous that number one, anyone would be outraged by it. Right. Not, not just the, you know, he's obviously trying to expose prejudices, uh, that Americans have maybe towards immigrants, um, people from other countries, um, like him, but there are some stuff that it's like, it doesn't matter. You could be the most like open-minded person in the world and you'd still be uh, outraged by some of the stuff he did. So I feel like that diluted his point a little bit at times and other things were just like 
seemed a little gratuitous, right? Like it, it didn't seem like they were serving any major purpose except for shock value. And I think that the reason I feel that Borat 2 is a stronger film is that it is more focused. Um, I think most of the gags and set pieces, whatever you want to call them, with him and the, these real people are getting at a larger theme of sexism and misogyny that seems to be permeating our culture and maybe explains a lot of why you know the people that we have had in charge over the last four years are in charge. Um, and you know, all of this comes from the introduction of Tutar, right? The character you mentioned played by Maria Bakalova, the, his daughter. Um, I thought, honestly, her introduction was a game changer. Uh, number one, again, because it allowed them to do this more focused thing about um, sexism at every level, right? It's, it, and it's not just like exposing politicians and, and stuff like that for being misogynist, because we kind of already knew that, right? It wouldn't be that surprising if that was the case, but it's other random, uh, you know, episodes in the movie. Like there's a weird interaction with a plastic surgeon. There's this Instagram influencer that pops up and is talking about um, how, you know, women need to act submissive, whatever. If you want to find a, a husband, you know, you got to um, act weak. Um, and just a lot of different episodes that I think come at the issue in different ways at different levels of society, which ultimately I think add up to a pretty comprehensive critique that I found very effective. But also the Tutar introduction adds heart to the film. There's genuine heart in the film that comes from um, sort of her character arc over the course of the movie, discovering that, um, you know, women can, you know, should be treated on the same level as men, um, which is obviously not something that she has experienced in Kazakhstan. And, you know, Borat also coming to recognize, you know, some of his own prejudices about women and about Jewish people. Um, I think for that reason, it it's, you know, it's it's more effective than the first movie. And, you know, maybe also it's more a product of the time, right? Like maybe in 10 years, this movie won't hold up as well as Borat 1 did. Um, but in 10 years, like, or I mean, but but for now, like when 2020, right, has been so dark and cynical about, I mean, in the last four years in general, really, about politics and our, our people in charge, um, it feels nice to see that a character like Borat uh, can, if like, if he can overcome his prejudices, then anyone can, right? That's what we want to believe, even if he is just a fictional character. Um, and so I think for that reason, it felt good to watch this movie in 2020. And ultimately I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. So uh, I you know, wasn't expecting this movie to come out this year, didn't really care when it was first announced, uh, but I have to say I'm a begrudging slight fan of Borat, um, especially after the second movie. I, and Sasha Baron Cohen, I mean, like, I'm just blown away by his his fearlessness, but we can talk about that a little later. I, I really like the film. Yeah, Scott's like, just, it, it pains him so much to say that he enjoyed, enjoyed a film. mainstream I can comedy. His, I can see it in his eyes. No. Uh, yeah, look, it. I, when I watched, so I watched this movie like the night it came out, so you have to excuse me. It's been like two plus weeks since I've seen this film, so I might be a little bit fuzzy on some of the details, but I watched this the night it came out. I think it was actually the night of the last presidential debate. Um, and I was like, this is certainly going to be, I'm going to get more value out of watching this than I'm going to get out of watching the last presidential debate. So I, I watched this instead. And look, like I've seen the first Borat movie. I It's been a while. So I think that I was a little bit rusty on exactly exactly what the, the types of hijinks and the extremes to which they were going to go. But I'd heard a lot about this film. I heard a lot about specific scenes in this movie. Before it came out as I think many people had who at least on film Twitter and follow film 
social media closely, like a lot of people were talking about the scene with Rudy Giuliani in this movie, which I do want to talk about later. But overall, I would I was just kind of flabbergasted, I think, not for any other reason than, than just the fact that I had forgotten how incredible and outlandish some of the situations actually end up being, even though I'd heard about several of these things and what actually happened in real life, you know, when he, when Sasha Baron Cohen showed up at some of these scenes like the, like the, like the music festival or the conference or whatever that, that he uh, shows up in and, and leads them all in this like super anti-Semitic racist chant. Like I'd heard about all those things, then actually like seeing them on the screen. It's just like, I mean, it, it, it even though you can kind of, expect it based on how crazy and so many things that happen in real life have been over the last four years during this administration i think it's still it's still shocking to see some of them uh actually happen and, and realize that these are real people's reactions i mean yes i think it it's hard to understand at any point what is it, like the film is going for genuine reactions of course and it's hard to understand what really are genuine reactions because these people still know they're being filmed. Yeah, I, that, and that that is one question I had during watching both movies. I'm like that that is the one thing that slightly slightly takes me out of it is like I mean, there's a camera right there. Like, don't you think that they would catch on at some point? Well, but some for, people for don't. A, like, yeah, for a lot of the scenes, not not for so for some, some of the most outlandish ones, they're they're not aware the cameras are there. And I think that is part of the point. Is like. Well, it's, and in the first movie, right, the whole thing was that he's making a documentary about America. He's come from Kazakhstan to make this documentary. So, like, there is, like, an explanation that he right. has. And I'm like, okay, if he says that, then it makes sense why there's a camera there. But, but they, now they it's really a famous character. Time. Well, yeah, yeah that is, and it's a famous character. Like, True, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say every single person who's in this document or this movie knows that they are in a Borat movie. But, like... A lot of people are going to know what that character is at this point. And he changes his appearance because of that very reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, just to get back to this, it, it's still really shocking. And I agree that the introduction of essentially just another character into the film with Maria Bakalova's um, Tutar is is a game changer, right? Like it really does change the complexion of the film. It, I think, adds layers and at least gives Borat some sort of meaningful arc that goes beyond you know, just being an absurd, you know, character, kind of a, a almost like an extreme caricature of what you might actually get out of someone in real life. And I think it adds dimensions to that. Right. And, and it, of course, it creates the opportunity for some of these conversations, some of these bits ultimately to be done that make it different from the original. Right. It make <laughs> it, it, it does allow this spin away from just pure immigration focused, which I think the first film is mostly about towards this idea of something more something complex something not, i don't want, i don't want to necessarily say complex but i guess something more than just that immigration focus because that that still is a lens on it for sure but the misogyny the sexism the anti-semitism the anti-semitism was in it in the first one too because i think that is oh, related yeah, big time yeah because yeah, i think that that is related to i think part of the immigration component but again seeing that you know 14 years later seeing that you know rear reared its ugly head in this film again and i think in plain detail is is pretty stark and pretty dramatic i, I found at times but yeah adding this layer of sexism and misogyny and again to your point in the different in its different forms but also in its different areas within society i think is is really striking in the film and honestly when i sat down to you know record this movie in letterboxd at the end and, and this is something that will come up at the end when we're 
rating it went up. I have no idea how to rate this movie. It feels like it almost feels beside the point to even give a score to this type of film when like how do you define whether it's good or even bad, right? Like it's just exposing things, right? It's not your traditional mockumentary, like you're saying. It's messages to show you, like the idea is like to get genuine reactions out of people and see what happens, right? And and that's I think that's really hard to judge, um, frankly. And so all I'm going to say, and as just sort of general impressions, is that Sasha Baron Cohen is insane. I can't believe he's he's able to do the things that he does. Maria Bakalova is a really good addition to the film. And it's incredible the reaction that they're able to get out of people in these situations, not because it's unbelievable, but because in spite of what you expect, it's still like it still happens, even though you expect it. And it's that says a lot. I think that says a lot about the state of the society that we're in now. And um, yeah, I think I think Borat is a, through this through this medium or through this vehicle. It's really interesting that they're able to continue to push this conversation even more. Right. Not necessarily further, but even more than than this conversation's already being pushed. All right, Scott. So we got two characters. Like, really, ultimately, there's two characters to talk to talk about in this film. And we've mentioned both of them already. But why don't we start with Sasha Baron Cohen? We'll get to Maria Bakalova. But Borat, Scott, what do you think? Uh, I, I mean, it's hard probably for you not to separate the two films. Be- or sorry, it's hard for you to separate the two films, considering you watch them like back to back. But uh, in the second one, what did you think of this performance? Yeah, again, I mean even though he hands the reins to, you know, his daughter to some extent, I think, you know, he's still in the thick of it and doing a lot of crazy stuff. And yeah, it's, it's the fearlessness that I, I have to admire, I guess, like, you know, it's insanity on some level. Um, But, you know, he knows the type of reaction that he's looking for and he, he gets it more often than not. And, you know, sometimes to make art, you have to go to, um, insane links. And I think that's what we see. It's crazy to me that like, you know, we heard about the Giuliani scene, obviously, but like some of this stuff we didn't hear, like when he dresses up in a clan robe and goes to like the con- conservative uh, conference when it's Mike C-Pack. Pence is yeah, speaking C-Pack. and like gets yeah. into, like walks in and gets carried out of there and like his clan robe or whatever, like that, I mean, that, that was crazy. I can't believe we never heard about that happening. Um, that's because but, I don't think it's clear that it's him, right? Like he, does he ever take I mean, the robe off? Yeah, so they don't that, even know that, who it is. That is the that is the one thing. I still would have thought we would have heard maybe something about somebody in a clan robe coming in in the middle of a Mike Pence speech, but maybe it, it was norm- just got, sounds normal it, for CPAC though, Scott. Yeah, I don't exactly. I don't know maybe it got expect. buried in the news cycle. Um, but but yeah, but I, I don't know that I, I have much to say. You know, he fully commits to the character. Um, his little mannerisms and sayings are are usually pretty funny, um, and. You know, it's amazing that he he's able to keep a straight face during everything. Like, you know, I think we overestimate um, or we we underestimate how how tough of a skill that is to just like to not break character um, during some of this. He does break character at one point, which is like when Rudy Giuliani is running away and he's like, um, "Your friend Donald will be upset or whatever that you left before getting a golden shower." Which I mean, I, I was one of the uh, hardest I laughed in the movie, but he did kind of like break character for that. But anyway, um, it, it, I still think his commitment to the role is, is very admirable. And these movies wouldn't be half of what they are if he wasn't, you know, willing to go to the links that he is. I mean, like the, the this whole thing that happens with Jim and Jerry, right? These two, like the QAnon believers. I mean, yeah. He like, did he like live with them for like a, a few weeks or something? Like that's the impression yeah, yeah. you get in the movie that he like lived in these people's house for like weeks, possibly. Yeah. Um, just like, 
it, it's so random too. Like he just walks up to them like it's after COVID has started and is like, I don't have any place to go. And they're like, yeah, sure. Just come live with us at our, uh, you know, cabin or whatever. And like, yeah, weeks yeah. go by or whatever. It, it's crazy. And that's another thing is that, you know, with COVID hitting, I'm sure COVID probably happened like in the middle of the production of this movie. Um, and he still found like, I mean, the way that he like spun, I mean, he, he probably had other plans for what he wanted to do with the movie, but the way that he was able to adapt and, you know, factor that into the movie and, you know, yeah. again, the concert scene or whatever with all the people not wearing masks and all of this stuff. And, you know, that's the, how, again, how Jim and Jerry happened. Um, yeah, I think it just speaks to his comedic genius, really, that he was able to to spin that into gold. And so, uh, yeah, I, I can't, you know, admire him enough for being sort of the mastermind behind this whole thing. I mean, that's the one thing that, that sticks out to me. It's true for the first one. And I think it's even even more true in the second one for me in certain points is just one of the points you made, how he's able to keep a straight face and stay committed in these like you know, some some of the bits are really short and brief. And you can understand like, okay, yeah, he can hold it together for like a couple lines, basically. It's yeah. not that it's not that hard. But then you get the scenes like with the pastor at the at the women's clinic, um, going through the whole thing and base like that whole scene. Like that scene is five, six, seven minutes long, and like neither of them are breaking character the entire time. It's absolutely insane that he's able to to hold to hold character and you think yeah, about well, talking about like impregnating his daughter right there yeah yeah well no no he just bought her a, he just bought her a cupcake scott calm down yeah uh no but yeah exactly and just getting no reaction whatsoever in fact even just like tacit approval from this yeah. pastor just like yeah. disturbing well that's the thing that stands out to me in the movie right like some of the things aren't surprising you're right like and the things that aren't surprising right are when like you know rudy giuliani and that type of stuff like whatever we're so accustomed to it now the surprising things to me are number one, and we'll probably talk about this later, but some of the really like heartwarming scenes where people and usually women, which I think goes along with the, the you know, the movie, the theme of the movie um, are kind of like ca either calling bore out, out out on his BS or being like very understanding and caring towards him. Those are surprising. And then, yeah, the complacency, like you mentioned, like, again, there's the, the guy at the facts uh office was unreal like it, he they go back there yeah. like multiple times and there's all these faxes being exchanged about how he's going to be murdered and all of this stuff and the guy just like i mean he might as well have been churning out any other facts and then yeah the cake person like what is it uh we will the it, jews will not replace us yeah the jews will not replace us right and she's just like okay like doesn't even blink and yeah again the clan rope thing he runs into the middle of a crowded hotel lobby and people are like laughing and filming on their phones. Like to me, that says more than anything about why we are where we are than, you know, Rudy Giuliani sticking his hand down his pants or whatever in this one scene. Um, I, I think that is where some of the more layered critique happens. And so I find that really fascinating. But sorry, back to you. No, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I do want to circle back around to that exact point because I want to I want to talk about different scenes um throughout the film. But yeah, look, it, it, the commitment to it and his ability to maintain it is impressive. Like, I don't know. I like to think that I can keep a pretty good straight face. But overall, I don't know how you do it in those situations when you're getting the most like, look, I'm sure he's looking for for or at least interested to see what kind of reactions he's going to get from these types of situations. But then in the moment, realizing that you're like you're getting the reaction maybe that you'd hoped for. Um, even if you didn't know you were going to get it. And then like, just like, all right, how do I keep, how do I take, how do I push this further and further and further? How far can I go? 
Um, and the answer to that question is that it can go a long ways <laughs> uh, yeah. without getting any reaction whatsoever. That is that shows any form of decency in the moment. And it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild stuff. And, and his ability to to extract that and also maintain the character through that is I mean, it's, it's really impressive. I don't I'm sure there are people, other people out there could do it, but it's still really impressive. Mm hmm. All right, Maria Bakalova, let's hear your thoughts on that, Scott. It seems like we're both on the same page about that this is a very additive portion to uh, this this sequel, not just in terms of themes, but in you know character and performance. So let's hear your thoughts more on that. Yeah, I mean, like, she's just as fearless, right? Like, I think we we have to hand it to her for, like, I don't know how they found her or what, you know, what she was doing before this, if she's acted at anything else, but, like, you know, to find someone of, I mean, she's a little bit older than, you know, her character in the movie, but uh, of that age who is, you know, 100% there alongside Borat, you know, willing to go just as far as he he is um, in every scene, I think is is amazing. And and then, yeah, the heartfelt elements, I think, really come, come through in her story, the way that, um, you know, she starts responding to some of the, again, some of the female characters, maybe this babysitter character, who I think is a really strong character um, that, um, you know, are trying to educate her a little bit more about how, Hey, women's roles here, you know, should be more progressive than where you come from. They aren't always, but, um, but this is, you know, this is not the way that things have to be the way the, uh, you know, the place that you come from, the, uh, social norms from which you come, the way your father treats you. And, and I think that, um, she plays the naivety of her character really well. Um, and I, but I also bought into her transition that over, over the time, you know, she, she wants to be in, wants to be sort of a reporter like Borat is. Um, and that, uh, you know, eventually she is pushed away from him a little bit. Um, and he's the one who has to change uh, in order to repair their relationship. So I just found her arc very satisfying and I found her believable strangely enough, you know, as strangely as it is to say that these characters are believable, but I did, uh, you know, I, I, I believed every turn that this character took in her arc. Um, and so I think that is a credit to the performance again, in addition to the fact that she, you know, goes all out just like he does and also doesn't break character also is incredibly fearless also will push things really far. Um, I think, that's impressive. And again, I don't know how they found someone like that, but it, it ended up being a match made in heaven. Yeah, look, it, the it worked really well. I'm not going to say that like the, the film needed something new, given the political climate and the direction that could have gone even, uh, you know, exploring people's beliefs and how freely they will talk about state, you know, exhibit those beliefs. But adding this new element to it, one kind of adds an extra dimension to the film almost where it's not purely the same as the first one. Like it, it does add meaningful arcs to these characters that for, you know, both for Borat and for um, Tutar, but which just didn't exist in the first film. Like there was no real arc for Borat in the first film. Um, it was just about doing the bits and getting the reactions. Right. And, exactly. and to actually have, what'd you say? I said exactly. Yeah. And to actually have something meaningful there for both of them through this edition adds a new element to the film where you're getting those hijinks still, you're getting that really meaningful commentary through, you know, through these situations that they've created to more or less entrap people into showing how crappy of a human being, you know, human beings they are, but also adding these elements to these characters as well to deliver something 
more impactful on a narrative, like in a narrative way too. And I think that's really interesting, right? Like it's not something that I expected when I turned on the film. Like I knew that, you know, he's trying to deliver, you know, his daughter as, as a, you know, as a gift. Right. But I didn't realize the direction they were necessarily going to take that. And look like this character could have very easily fallen flat. Honestly, like this could have just been, you know, I enjoyed the first movie. I, I dreaded seeing some of the those types of of scenes, kind of like you're describing, like watching some of it through, you know, through the the cracks between my fingers as I cover my eyes a little bit. But it works for me, and I I enjoyed it. And to see them take that risk narratively, it, it was really rewarding. I thought because they found the perfect person for it, and the chemistry between the two of them, and their comedic chemistry, right? Like their ability to play off each other, pretty much improvised in scenes is pretty is pretty impressive. So. Not only are they able to do it separately, I think, you know, I don't know if I'd necessarily say Maria Bakalova is Sasha Baron Cohen's equal, but certainly good enough to be on the same on on this particular stage and any any stage probably with him. And their ability to work together in those specific scenes is really good. And I think that this this film benefits a lot from it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a smart play in 2020, right, to make this type of a movie and not just make the same type of movie as Borat. Yeah. A second time, uh, like Josh Larson said in his review of the first movie, uh, he when he rewatched the first movie before this one came out, he said, you know, this first film bore out when it came out. It felt like an expose. Uh, let's hope that in 2020, the sequel feels like an exorcism, which I thought was a really good line. And um, I think that's what the movie is aiming to do. Right. It is it is not just presenting these things again and saying, hey, look at how awful all of this is. It is, you know, through these characters of Borat, I mean, through the character of Borat is saying, hey, look, even the most prejudiced person can overcome these prejudices in the end. And that's what we need to see in the end. We need in in 2020, like we need a little bit of hope. Um, We don't need to just be constantly beaten over the head with how, you know, awful misogynist, whatever our politicians and leaders are, because we already know that. I think moving on from there, just again, now I think it's the only place left to go is to talk about. Uh, well, first, the the bits, the situations, the, you know, the skits almost if they weren't, you know, the fact that they aren't written before and they're improvised it doesn't really make I guess it makes them not skits. But, you know, those situations, those hijinks that I was talking about. And then we can touch briefly on the narrative aspect of it as well, if we want to talk a little bit further before we wrap things up. But first, Scott, I mean, there's so many that you could go through, right? There's obviously, you know, kind of when they first arrive in America, there's the scene at the, I guess, like warehouse sort of Home Depot type store where they're buying the cage. There's the debutante ball. There's, you know, all the scenes at the UPS store equivalent. I don't know what they call it in the, in the movie, but it's not UPS store, but the equivalent there, there's CPAC. There's the cupcake, you know, the, the bakery. There is the health, the women's health clinic. There's the plastic surgery and there's the women's, you know, conference meeting. Uh, I guess like, I guess it was more like a group meeting, right? It wasn't really a conference. Um, and then, of course, the Rudy Giuliani scene and then all the, the multiple scenes with Janice, who is the uh, the professional babysitter, um, who is also a member of the church. So, Scott, I'll say this. I think there's so many scenes to talk about. But why don't we pick why don't we each pick one or two and and highlight those before I move on the ones that that kind of hit you the hardest. And I think you were describing certain scenes that have that extra dimension to them and the, as the, and the unexpectedness not necessarily just the typical people being typically stupid and crappy but there's something there's certain scenes to you that that had that extra layer to it 
Yeah. Well, I kind of mentioned, I think, the complacency angle and a lot of the scenes where that pops up with people just not reacting in ways when they should be outraged or when they should be, you know, calling Borat out on his BS. So I'll focus on a couple of scenes that were surprising because of their positive outcomes. Like, I think one scene is where Tutar goes to this like conservative women's, like Republican women's meeting type thing. Um, And you know, first she's having a conversation with some of them and they're like talking about how men lie and such. And, um, you know, are kind of, you know, being a little more uh, open-minded than you might necessarily have expected when she walks in. And then, you know, and this is one of the moments, again, I literally had my hand over my eyes when she goes up to the microphone, right? Starts and starts talking about like self-pleasure basically uh, to this room full of like 50 something, you know, conservative white women. Um, and they don't react with outrage. I I was reminded of a scene in the first movie where he goes to dinner with these old Southern people. He's at dinner with these old Southern people. And like the bit ends up being that he invites a prostitute over as his like dinner guest. And when she shows up, they just like throw him out. They throw her out. They're like, get out of here. You know, we don't want anything to do with you now that this prostitute has showed up, whatever. Um, and I was like expecting this this scene to go the same way. And, you know, they're stunned reactions for sure. But ultimately, I think they try to be they try to come off as understanding and like, the you know, a couple of them are like clapping for her after she's done whatever. So I was uh, a little bit surprised that that scene did not go in the direction again, like that dinner party scene, maybe in the um, in the past and in the in the first movie. And on an even more positive note, I think, is this great scene where he goes into like a synagogue, I guess. And there are these two old Jewish women there and he's dressed up as like a caricatured Jew with like the long nose and everything. Um, and, you know, immediately this woman, that was the thing immediately. She doesn't like get angry. She doesn't get impatient. She doesn't try to pick him out. She is like immediately opens up to him and is like, Hey, why are you doing this? Like I'm, I'm a Jewish woman. See, I'm not mad. I'm not, or I'm not mean. I'm not evil. Whatever sits him down. She's talking about how she was in the Holocaust. Um, and it's a really like touching scene that you totally do not expect to see in a Borat movie. Um, and, you know, I think it makes that makes it all the more believable that Borat, um, you know, comes around and gets over his prejudice towards Jews um, after this scene. Like, again, they can't have scripted that, I wouldn't think. Uh, so the fact that it, it works out that way, I think, speaks so um, positively of, you know, that that woman and. Um, I just thought that was a really lovely scene. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was nice to see, you know, you mentioned the babysitter also being a member of uh, the church. It was nice to see that like religious people were behaving with tolerance towards them because um, that's not necessarily um, how the prominent religious figures, I guess, in uh, in Christianity, I guess, in particular nowadays, that that is not necessarily how they present themselves. And um, I do think the media maybe focuses slightly more on the negative side of things than they do on the positive side. But I still also think that nowadays the the people like this babysitter and, uh, you know, the Jewish woman in the church are probably fewer and further between than they should be among religious communities. Um, and so it was it was nice to see some of that stigma being uh, silenced a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, so those were scenes that stuck out to me as surprising in a good way, right? And added that emotional layer to the movie, which I think elevated it over the first one. Yeah, no, I think those, those are definitely the moments that kind of throw you for a loop because they don't 
end the way you expect a Borat scene to end with specific people. So I think those are definitely good shots. I and mean, for me, some of the ones that grabbed my attention were the ones where it's like, it's so easy to just be like, something is definitely wrong with what I'm seeing in front of me. And like the two that sort of stick out to me from there is one, the first scene that I was, that I was mentioning around, you know, they first arrive, he discovers that Tutar is, is in Johnny the monkey's like cage or, or shipping, shipping crate, shipping container thing. And then he's like, okay, I need to go buy you a cage, right? He goes and they go to this like, like home Depot, like store. I don't know if what exactly the store was, but like the store manager is like helping him pick out crate, like cages to like for his daughter to live in and at, like asking absurd questions like how many like how many like women does this crate fit like or cage fit like how many x y and it's just like how is this per like i like look maybe the person did say something and it and it was like oh like this is just a part of a bit like go along with it like you never really you never can really know but let's just put it this way the edit on this film makes this guy look like an at like an absolutely horrible person for going and they're talking it. about gassing people they're like how many how Oof, many gypsies yeah. how many gypsies could you gas with all of this or whatever uh, yeah and the guy's just like however many you can fit in the cage or whatever it was awful yeah i had, I had forgotten about that part of the conversation so yeah. thank you for reminding me very uplifting <laughs> moment there for all of us no yeah the, it is it is startling because it's like it's one of those easy things where like all right cool like some of these scenes you can kind of see the people falling into it and whatnot um to for me at least like even as shocking i think as the you know march march for our rights like uh rally is in washington that they go to where he leads the anti-semitic chant like that's like so believable that, that actually happens in real life based on you know the stereotypes at least of the kind of people who might go through a march for our rights rally and be there and be you know waving you know trump pence flags etc but i think for me like that one was shocking the one at the beginning i'm talking about with the cage, the ones that we were talking about just now with the cages and then the other one is the scene that again already kind of referencing here and talked briefly about at this women's health clinic this i mean i guess this is also a religious figure exhibiting some tolerance but maybe not the kind of tolerance that we want uh, a religious figure to exhibit in being so solely focused on this aspect of it doesn't really matter whether or not you know this potential pregnancy is a product of incest what matter like let's just completely ignore that that doesn't matter to me at all that this father has impregnated his daughter i just need to make sure that at all costs you don't you know, you don't go through with an abortion. So, and like abortion politics aside, that's neither here nor there. Like you can have a debate and discussion about that all you want. It's disturbing to not have a conversation in that situation around, you know, the aspect of incest. And it's really uncomfortable uh, for me, at least to, to think, to think that someone can be in a situation like that and not, not want to walk down that street and to have that conversation. It's really disturbing. And that, that one shocked me a little bit. Yeah, it, it is shocking for sure. I, you know, it is one of those things where like a little bit like the first movie, I do wonder like how often does this scenario come up? But regardless, like you, you want to see people responding um, in an yeah. out, outraged way to this. It, you know, a, a lot of times in this movie, it reminded me, talking about the complacency thing, it reminded me a few years ago of uh, there's a senator, I, you probably know Senator Ben Sass, right, from Nebraska. Arizona. He's Republican, oh, Nebraska. Republican senator. Um, like this from Arizona. And, you know, it is has been was, you know, spoke out against Trump a lot, uh, was definitely not one of the like, you know, who just fell in fell in line with the GOP. But um, 
he was on the Bill Maher show when Bill Maher had his famous joke where he like where he said the N word in, in his joke. Um, and, you know, Ben Sash just kind of sat there. He didn't like, you know, he didn't uh, like laugh or anything, but he just kind of didn't really react to, to just kind of went along with it when when Bill Maher said the N word. Um, and, you know, I've always that's always bothered me because I felt like, look, dude, here's a great here. This would have been a great chance to like, you know, give Slam the GOP give the GOP like a good name, right. For you to be like, Hey, you know, people think we're the party of racism and all of this stuff. Um, but I'm going to call you out on your BS bill more. Uh, and, and it's stuff like that, um, that, you know, I, I think of when I watch this movie, um, and I see again, the people who are just kind of laughing and filming when this guy runs in in a Klan robe to a conservative conference, that's, that's very disheartening. Um, you know, even even if it doesn't necessarily go towards like the larger themes in the movie, uh, like I understand why that was. Yeah. So those are the it, I think along with the scenes that you described, those are coming those two specifically, but also the other ones like it are the types of scenes that I think just really had the most impact on me again, not because almost like the it's just so easy, right? It's just like so easy to not be that person in that situation. Yeah. Um, And in it in it's almost again, not necessarily predictable that that they have to, you know, fall in line with this. Again, I think there's several scenes where, like, you can kind of understand why someone doesn't question it and goes along with what's happening um, based on, again, unfairly or unfairly, based on stereotypes of specific types of people that have been generated over the last few years. This is what some of those scenes that feels like this was a layup. This one, this one could have been responded to very differently without having too much issue. Yeah. And then, I mean, there is the, you know, I talk about them being complacent, but also like, you know, when he's getting pulled out of the, the CPAC conference, all of the people just start chanting four more years as if that has anything to do with what is going on. Um, like yeah. the, the fact that, you know, they see someone sarcastically dressing up in a clan robe as an attack on their president, uh, that speaks volumes right there in and of itself. Um, yeah. So that, that, that was kind of interesting as well, I guess. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I, I think the only thing before we do move on to the narrative aspect is I think it's like probably wrong to not talk about the Giuliani scene. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but that was like the big talking point going into the movie, frankly, Scott. And I think that this speaks just to my perspective on this movie and politics as a whole. Like, I don't know. I wasn't surprised that Rudy Giuliani is a total creep. I don't think that things what what was said that he did in the movie, like I don't think it's as bad as some people were making it out to be, or it didn't look as bad as some people were making it out to be. But the bottom line is, is he was being incredibly inappropriate and you know, we'll say a little misogynist at best and a lot misogynist at worst, and certainly being an absolute creep. But like for this administration, for people who are close to Donald Trump who are old white men. Like that's like what do you expect? <laughs> like this movie didn't tell me anything new yeah. about that. Um, like like what really Giuliani did is exactly what I told you he would have done if you described the situation to me. Yeah, I mean, man, do you talk about like the biggest fall from grace that any politician has ever had? Like really, Rudy Giuliani's got to be up there, right? Like you talk about how revered he was after the way he handled nine eleven and rallied New York during all of that to what he has become now. I mean, it is just a decline uh, like few we have ever seen. But yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I think he probably was just tucking in his shirt. Like that's, you know, his, 
his explanation of it. At the same time, he never should have gone to the hotel room with her in the first place. Like that, that is the, inter- that is the, you know, when the inappropriate thing started. And at that point, like once he, once he made that decision to go into the hotel room with her, like it's totally fair. I feel like to perceive any sort of questionable act that he takes as, Hey, he was trying to go even a step further here and, yeah. and do something really inappropriate, um, which yes, wouldn't, wouldn't be shocking, but um yeah, you know, I mean, again, I understand why it was was part of the movie, um, because, yeah. you know, it just shows that this goes all the way to the top. Here's somebody who works closely in the White House um, yeah. that has this type of attitude. Um, and honestly, no one, no one yeah. would even no one even would bat an eye if if you if you describe the same situation and said it was Donald Trump instead of Rouge. Yeah, like, like it wouldn't it wouldn't phase anyone. Honestly, It'd be honestly. less surprising, maybe, <laughs> if it was Trump. Yeah, maybe. Uh, pretty pretty sad that that is how desensitized we are to that type of behavior because it's absolutely unacceptable uh, yeah. to be clear we're not saying that it, our our lack of being phased by it does not uh does not mean that we think that it is okay or acceptable to do because i think anyone watching the film will know that well i shouldn't say anyone but people who are reasonable who are watching this film will know that that's not okay none, none, none of that is what happening with rudy Giuliani is okay in the film but look i'd have been more surprised if he didn't do that honestly all right, it's got the narrative portion of it. We've talked a little bit um, already about the element that adding a character like Tutar adds to the film. And we can talk more about that if you want. But I think that the ending is also something that you were sort of alluding to earlier is it shows a, a little bit more of an, you know, uh, dynamic nimbleness of the film to reorient its message maybe halfway through filming and at least have a, a at least a funny um, final note to leave the film on, Scott. Anything else first you'd like to add about the Tutar Borat relationship or um, about the ending as well in the direction that the ending of the film goes. Yeah. I, I mean, it is crazy. And I do feel like some of the Jim and Jerry stuff in a little bit is a little bit of a detour, right? Cause that's, that's yeah. not exactly going, you know, towards the the again, the theme of misogyny and all of that, um, that I think is central to the movie. So uh, that maybe is where the movie loses a few points for me, but it's still very entertaining to watch again. I mean, the fact that he, again, ostensibly lived with these two QAnon guys for, you know, possibly weeks. Um, and, you know, was ordering all <laughs> orders of flashlight to their, uh, their house uh, because he asked Alexa to order a flashlight. Um, what was rather comical. Um, but yeah. So, so, and then, yeah, the, the concert scene, I mean, the, con- the concert scene again was very, um, eye-opening, even if not like totally surprising, you know, the fact that he gets up there and he's singing this song about, you know, giving Obama the, the, the coronavirus, basically like giving him the Wuhan flu uh, as they call it. Um, and it gets the entire crowd to start singing along, you know, entire crowd of people not wearing masks, of course. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, it's not shocking, but like, I, I was still transfixed watching it, I guess, is, is the point. So I think he he gets a, a happy medium there of where, yeah, maybe I maybe I felt like this was getting a little off off track from the point, but it was still, you know, entertaining, I guess, is somewhat of the word, but again, just like sort of mesmerizing to watch. And I don't feel like he spent too much time there to the point where it was like, we've totally lost the plot. Um, I do think he brings it back around to... Um, Tutar and you know they rope in that um, you know that that the guys have to go talk to Tutar and all of this stuff when she's there as as the reporter so 
Um, he, he finds some ways to work it into the plot, but um, I, I am impressed by his adaptability. I said that before, but I'll just reiterate that, that he was able to, um, you know, adapt so quickly to COVID and that, I guess he didn't really care about getting COVID, right? Because he runs up on stage uh, and sings a song at this thing without a mask on or any of that, you know, in, in the in the midst of all these anti-maskers. So that was something too. Yeah, I, Scott, I'm worried he didn't even watch the last 10 minutes of the movie because the last 10 minutes of the movie is actually what I was talking about when I said the kind of the dynamic nature of the plot when it turns out Kazakhstan is the orig the originator of, of COVID-19 and that Borat yeah. was patient zero. He was injected with, gypsy tears at the i didn't end. know if that's what you were going for oh yeah no it was and and this whole notion of he was actually just sent to the america to spread the coronavirus and and make everyone sick look it, it's not a meaningful message but it, it does add a twist a little bit at the end and talking about how it, it was dynamic in its nature of the way that it wrapped up the movie because this movie didn't certainly wasn't conceived or started filming in coronavirus but certainly ended up there i don't know if you have any other thoughts to add about that um as well as maybe like the last funny scene where they have the running of the American in Kazakhstan with uh, what Donald Trump, Anthony Fauci, and that was there someone was there Michael? I can't remember Michael Pence is in, in that too. He might have been. I think he might have been, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think he actually might have been Melania or, or Ivanka or something. But anyway, you know, I mean, yeah, that was that was funny just to, to watch, and you know, you get the nice payoff of like Borat and and Tutar, like you know, are reporting together. Um, so her dream kind of gets realized or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have too much to add about the, the twist or whatever. I, I didn't really think too much about it, to be quite honest with you. I was kind of like, oh, that's funny. Uh, I, you know, I guess I guess they're playing off of um, the stupid sort of fears about how, uh, you know, China, China. Well, I mean, and Jim and Jerry, I think one of them says it right, like that China created the virus. No, no. Maybe it's Rudy Giuliani that says it. Um, says like China created the virus and you know, sent it over here so that we would all get infected. I, I, you know, I guess they're trying to sort of highlight the ridiculousness of that. I didn't feel like it had uh, a, a super profound point to it, but again, he doesn't spend too much time on it. It's just kind yeah. of a, it's almost throw away at the end. Kink in the plot. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott, uh, favorite scene or moment. Let's wrap up. We haven't mentioned the debutante ball, which I thought was a very funny scene. And, you know, there's the daughter who like calls out her, her dad or whatever, or granddad for, acting, you know, weird towards Borat and Tutar. And then the probably the hardest I laugh in the movie is when Tutar gets let out and they're reading off what her majors is or like what she wants to study in college or whatever. And it's like her her minor is in VCR repair or VHS repair or something. And like that was, an, again, I'm not a big comedy like person. Like I, I, I'm sure I still laugh while still while finding the film funny. I'm sure I still laughed less than the average person will at this movie, but that was a moment when I genuinely like had a out loud laugh um, as I was watching it. Um, and so kudos to them for that just kind of moment of absurdity. And yeah, the, the debutante ball scene was, I think a good inclusion as well, just because it kind of shows this antiquated tradition that like, come on, it, it, it you know, is probably contributing again to why, um, you know, women maybe are viewed in, in a, a particular way still in society by men. Um, and yeah, there's that Instagram and Instagram influencer scene um, that I mentioned earlier too, that kind of plays into that as well. So I'll, I'll highlight the Debbie Hunt scene. Yeah, no, I, I'm also a little surprised the Debbie Hunt ball hadn't, hadn't come up yet. It's uh it's definitely an interesting scene to say the least. And it definitely got a bunch of laughs out of me also 
think for me, the scene that I would highlight, man, another scene that I guess we haven't really talked that much about is the absolute absurdity of the scene with the plastic or multiple scenes with the plastic surgeon. I think that's one that we just didn't, you you mentioned it briefly, but I've heard things like this guy might actually end up losing his like license to practice. He should. Yeah. Uh, And if you haven't seen it, yeah, you'll understand why when you see it, it's absolutely unbelievable scene. And at some point, my laughter turned to just absolute guffawing at the way this scene was going is absolutely insane. Um, absolutely insane. I don't know if you sound like you were going to add something else here about the scene, but I was just going to say he literally says that he would have he would like have sex with Tutar if Borat was not there. Yeah, this is a fifteen-year-old girl. That is that is an important thing to remember in all this is that I I think except for the scene with Giuliani, she's like trying to pass herself off as a yeah. fifty like a fifteen-year-old girl, which is pretty pretty uncomfortable in certain scenes to say the least. Oh yeah. But yeah, the plastic the plastic surgeon scene, I think first and foremost among that, it's a a wild scene that got a lot of laughs out of me and then a lot of uncomfortable guffawing as, as it went further and further. So it, it's one of those things where you kind of wonder what they're thinking in in these types of scenes where they're like, you know, how how what what are they mentally thinking about as as they get this particular reaction? Because even in their like wildest dreams, right, they're like probably not expecting this to be the oh, reaction yeah. of the plastic <laughs> surgeon. Um, and yet that's the reaction against. It's insane. Insane. It is. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving Borat subsequent to movie film? Uh, 8.0. This was a really enjoyable film. Um, definitely up there. Probably, you know, maybe low end of my top 10, maybe slightly outside my top 10 for the year so far. Um, one of one of my bigger surprises this year. Um, and I and I always enjoy having those in a given year. We haven't ha- gotten to have as many, obviously, because we just haven't seen as many good movies. But um you know, some of my favorite movies from past years are ones that I wasn't expecting to be as good as they were when I went in. And I felt I felt that way about Borat. So I really enjoyed it. 8.0. Yes, Scott, I, I mentioned that sort of at the outset here. I I have no idea how to score this movie. I mean, I'm still going to give it a score, but I just I, I don't even know what a score means for this movie. And when you and when you talk about a movie being in your top 10, like this is a movie that is wholly unique from anything else. It's anywhere on your list, right? Like just have no idea how to compare this film to other other like narrative films we're watching because frankly, most of it's not narrative. I guess that's probably one of the reasons why. I mean, some portion of it certainly is, and it's a movie with a script in certain parts, but so much of it is is ultimately improv comedy that it's just like, I don't know how to score this, right? But for me, I'm throwing a dart at a board and giving it a 7.5, but I couldn't tell you why it got a 7.5. Like It's just, it's just it, it is what it is. And it's very scientific yeah, uh, very, process yeah. we have going on here. Yeah, very feel, very much art, not a science on this one. And I'd say that if you're at all curious about this movie, like the movie's extremely relevant, you'll probably get something out of it, whether it's a laugh or a shake of the head. I don't know, but it's worth checking out. It's extremely relevant for what we're happening as we sort of, you know, transition towards a new phase, hopefully in American politics. We'll see if this phase comes back down the line, but transitioning towards a new phase and seeing what, you know, the last four to six to eight years has you know, brought upon us in U.S. politics and kind of laying laying that bare and the division that has taken place and what our leadership has tacitly approved of and allowed for to to foment in in the politics. I think this movie actually does a surprisingly good job of exposing that. And look, it's a microcosm for the overall political context, but it's not an irrelevant microcosm, which is unfortunately sad to say. Yeah. 
All right, that should just about do it for our discussion of Borat's subsequent movie film. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talking about some big news for the Fantastic Beasts franchise, as well as some recent news about one of Ethan Hawke's upcoming projects. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. All right, Scott, as I teased before the break, there was some really, honestly, huge news for the Wizarding World, specifically Fantastic Beasts franchise that I believe came out on Friday. And that was that Johnny Depp is actually stepping away from the franchise. So he plays the character of Colette Grindelwald in this Fantastic Beasts, you know, Harry Potter prequel series. And... You know, we so we reviewed what the the second film, The Crimes of Grindelwald, on the podcast. Um, you were very negative, particularly on his performance in that film. On the film overall, as I think most people were, to be frank, but uh, on his on his particular performance, and I think combined with the response to this performance from Johnny Depp after you know over the last you know two years now, I guess it's been over two years since since that film came out. The response to his performance and also his, you know, ongoing troubles with uh, legal proceedings and particularly as it relates to his relationship with his ex-wife, Amber Heard, I think has led either Warner Brothers or I, I don't know how much J.K. Rowling is involved with this situation. But I mean, she's very well documented as being heavily involved with many of the decisions made around the franchise and all in like all forms of media. So I'm sure she had a hand in it as well. To he was specifically asked to step away and to um, essentially give up his role as Grindelwald, and we heard that uh, you know as a result of that he will be recast. This is not characters that this is not a character. Obviously, if you've seen the films, that is being written out. He's critical to the ongoing plot of the series, and this is not a character that's going to be written out. So it's going to be recast. We don't know who that's going to be yet. There's no rumors around that, uh, at least as of recording. But he is stepping away, and the film also at the same time has been delayed further. It had already been delayed um, as a result of, I think, them rewriting the script for the movie in response to the reaction of the second film. But it's being delayed further uh, as a result as well of, of this role being recast. And so, Scott, I don't know if you have too much thoughts or opinions. I obviously talked about what your thoughts and opinions were of the particular role uh, when it came into more prominence in the second film. But all things considered, I think it's a good thing. I This gives me actually a little bit more hope than before for this franchise being salvaged. I think Johnny Depp was certainly uninspiring at best in his role in the second film. And the fact that they're listening to critics of the movies, um, and, and I mean that both in the literal sense of, you know, film critics, but also critics of the movie, you know, in the audience, you know, more lay people as well. They're get, listening to that feedback and understanding that they have really done a poor job with this franchise as of late and at least attempting some efforts to extricate themselves both from the social aspect of having a character like Johnny Depp, who's not even adding anything to your franchise first off, but getting rid of the sort of maybe toxicity around having that person in your franchise and then also rewriting the script. I don't know if you're more hopeful or if you care at all about it, but what are your thoughts on this direction for Fantastic Beasts? I mean, I, I frankly don't care, to be honest with you. I uh, 
you know, the second movie I thought was really bad. I didn't much care for the first one either. I, I'm just wondering at this point, at what point is every single person like involved with this going to get canceled, right? Because we had we've had J.K. Rowling, obviously, and now uh, Johnny Depp is kind of being canceled. Um, and yeah, so so that that is one. Kind of to, so I'm curious who you think is next. And is it going to be Dan Fogel? Is it going to be Eddie I'll Redmayne? You, I was about to say, I'll tell you who I hope it is. But um, <laughs> so mean, Scott, you're so no, I, I'm not I'm not that mean. I'm not that mean. But yeah, I mean, like, look, Eddie Redmayne is one reason why these movies just don't do it for me. I don't find him that charismatic as an actor. I think there's a weird thing that is going on with this character. So, you know, when this next movie comes out, I'll only see it if we're doing it for the podcast. I mean, otherwise, I have absolutely no interest uh, in in seeing it whatsoever. Even if they do respond to the critics, great, whatever. I just don't really find this world super interesting and don't find the characters as lovable as they were in the Harry Potter films, obviously. So um, for me, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously significant, right, that an actor of Johnny Depp's stature is, you know, being dismissed from a franchise like this. It makes you wonder... Does he have any way forward in his career, um, at least, you know, in, in big, high-profile projects? Um, I'm sure Woody Allen would do a movie with him. Yeah, maybe Brett Ratner. But, um, but it, it, so it's significant for that reason. But other than that, um, I find it hard to muster up a lot of energy and caring about where this franchise goes because it's just not a franchise for me. Yeah, I, I can't believe I listed all these like names of actors and actresses, uh, just actors, I guess, in the movie asking if they were going to be the ones to cancel next. But Ezra Miller is almost certainly going to be the person who gets canceled next in this cast. Yeah, like well, he, he it seemed like he was going to recently, but then they just kind of like, I don't know. I still don't know what to make of that video. It was yeah, very bizarre. I don't know what to make of it either. But uh, when you just completely, you know, sucker punch some random random person at a bar probably doesn't bode well for the, for your future but so far he's gotten away with it it seems like for the most part i mean who knows really what was going on there because it was such a i mean it was a seven second video so you don't get any context around what's going on yeah. but um look like i guess if you had to if you had to do a power rankings of next people to be canceled in the fantastic beast franchise it's like probably ezra miller at the top of the list yeah okay so i mean i obviously care a lot more about this franchise than you do as a big harry potter fan i don't disagree with anything you're saying though around this franchise being less endearing than the Harry Potter franchise. I mean, there's look, it's magical, right? Like, I don't even mean that as a pun, like a, something about that original Harry Potter series. I mean, for me, it was the books uh, and stuff, but I think that translates to the movies too. There's just something really special about that. There's, you know, whether it's a time and place type thing for when I was growing up, when I was reading those books or whatever it might be, there's something really special about that. It, and it's hard for me to separate um, the art and the artist generally, but something about Harry, po- Harry Potter, I've been able to separate the art from the artist and, and, the meaningfulness of that series has stayed true even in the last year or two as J.K. Rowling has, you know, said some things that I certainly don't agree with. Uh, but overall, I think that that doesn't translate as much to the Fantastic Beasts series. I'm still a fan. I still like the movies more than you do. Uh, I do like the first one, not as much as the Harry Potter films, but I do like the first one. But it, the second one was not super enjoyable. Um, I, like I, I walked out of that theater saying, I guess that was fine. And then like 30 minutes later, I'm like, that wasn't good. That just wasn't good. Um, and I, I like the, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, again, this won't surprise you, but it's like the coming of age elements that did it for me in the Harry Potter franchise, right? Like more of the yeah. human story. And I think maybe like the magical side of stuff appeals a lot more to you than it does to me. I just find right. that a lot of times it overwhelms the, um, you know, the heart of this, the characters and story, which is, you know, what I am more drawn to. 
Yeah, and that's, and they certainly go that the exactly that direction you're describing that doesn't work for you with Fantastic Beasts. Like they're going more for the magical side of things mm-hmm. and trying to build a world around that and show you more magic um, rather than going the character more character driven direction. I mean, you get a little bit of it right, but uh, you you don't get uh, something that that satisfies uh, at the same level that you would from the original you know eight Harry Potter movies. So I totally hear you on, on that front. And, you know, this series, like I said, still means a lot to me. So I hope that they are able to course correct. But they've got a, a big ship to turn and uh, a far a, a great amount to turn it uh, if they are able to to turn this one around. Uh, by the time the third film comes out, the third of like, I don't know, 20,000 Fantastic Beast movies they're apparently going to be making. Something ridiculous, like five movies or something like I don't understand why on earth they do uh, right now, but. I'll believe it whenever I see the Avatar sequels come out. Yeah, I mean, those were delayed another year, so we'll, the, the story was, but product, I think filming has wrapped on those movies, though. Not unlike, I know this isn't the, our second news story, but Scott, I can't remember if I told you not, the Uncharted movie has wrapped filming. That film, ha- that movie has been filmed. Uh, obviously, they well, have a lot you know of production to the, do, but. The New Mutants was filmed, like it was done, but it, it also took forever for it to come out. So, no, sure. I mean, I still, I have, I have faith for Uncharted that it will come out. I don't know if I have faith that it's going to be a good movie, but. Um, but but I guess we will see. Uh, yes, I can't wait to compare it to regard. Tomb Raider. You know, the funny thing about the other day uh, that I was also realized in the context of the Uncharted series is that the Tomb Raider sequel was like still on the calendar. It had not been delayed for out of like January or February of next year, which I had not realized. And then like two weeks ago, it was delayed like a year here. <laughs> that movie is never the, coming out. That movie the, is studio, not the studio was like, oh, crap, we we forgot that this movie existed. Yeah, just like, it was like everyone who saw the first movie. Yeah, it was like two months away from it being released. And the, the, the movie had not been filmed. Yeah. <laughs> like, the production had not started on it. Someone just looked at the Google calendar one day and was like, oh. <laughs> oh no uh yeah so that that was that sorry fun, fun little couple anecdotes there but uh let's move on to the ethan and maya hawk news scott that you wanted to talk about because honestly i don't even know if i could describe it to people because my brain is still just rattled by this news yeah so uh it's quite a setup for you know for a movie in many regards but um you know we get a lot of casting news and movie announcements and stuff like that every week still despite the fact that you know Things are getting pushed back. The movie schedule looks uncertain. It's not slowing down people from, you know, getting new movies going. And uh, there's this movie, Revolver, um, which is going to be directed by Andrew Stanton, first of all, which is an interesting uh, name, uh, mainly known for his work in the Pixar films, obviously. Finding Nemo, WALL-E, A Bug's Life are all his work. Finding Um, Dory. Yeah. His only live action movie, actually, was John Carter for Disney, which... um, was a notorious box office bomb, but has actually become a little bit of a cult classic in recent years. There are, there are people who actually will swear by that being a really good movie. Um, so, you know, maybe speaks to him as a director in the live action world. But obviously, this is not going to be a live action movie. Uh, it is going to star Ethan Hawke and his daughter, Maya Hawke. Maya Hawke obviously has been in some stuff. Um I'm trying to think what she would be most well known for being. I mean, she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year. She was in like the Little Women miniseries from 2017. Uh, I know there's something I'm forgetting, but um, regardless, she she has you know been around a little bit in a few roles. And obviously, Ethan Hawke, one of my favorite actors, so I'm always going to be intrigued by what he's doing. Um, and here he's going to be paired alongside his daughter, and they're going to be playing a father and daughter, as you would expect. And the plot of this movie is basically a romantic comedy in which Maya Hawke's character apparently is devising some sort of plan to sleep with George Harrison. It is set in the 1950s or 60s, I, I think so. 
uh, obviously at the height of Beatlemania. So, yeah. and you it, know, Revolver. it makes more sense than if it was set today and she was trying to sleep with George. Yes. Harrison. Revolver being a Beatles album. So obviously the, you know, name is a little on the nose, I guess. Um, but yeah, there are just a lot of weird parts in this from, you know, uh, Andrew Stanton directing to the setup of the movie. Um, you know, my Hawk and, and Ethan Hawke obviously playing alongside each other is not weird, but it's interesting as well. Um, so whenever this movie comes out, I think it will be something unique to watch. I'm interested to see what Andrew Stanton can bring to a romantic comedy because, you know, John Carter obviously wasn't that. And, you know, his Pixar movies are in, in a different galaxy as well from what this movie at least appears to be. So I'm curious for sure. Yes. Much vaunted romantic comedy Wally. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a romantic I mean, aspect of that film, yeah. but not a yeah. romantic comedy. Um, yeah. I rewatched that movie earlier this year, and I can't say that that film just cops out so hard in its ending. Anyway, uh, Scott, just to clarify, you said this is a live action or an animated movie? This is a live action film. Cool. Yeah, just wanted to clarify because I think I, I might have misheard you, but I thought you'd said that it wasn't live action. So I just wanted to clarify. Oh, yeah, my bad if so. No, yeah, I, I honestly, Scott, you told me this news like I can't remember. I couldn't even tell you when you told me this news. My brain has not recovered yet from hearing this news from you. I, <laughs> I just don't even know how to process all that information. But interesting, maybe. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's again, it stands out from the host of movie announcements and stuff we get every week. It's, it definitely caught my eye in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And look, I'm I'm a big Andrew Stanton fan in spite of the ending of Wally. I, I like pretty much everything else that I've seen of his. I haven't seen John Carter, but uh, look, it's I'm I'm interested. He's he definitely has a, a particular vision, you know, even if he isn't always necessarily in my book able to perfect it. You know, at the end, it's still better than most filmmakers from what I can what I can see. All right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for episode 115 of Some Like It, Scott. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. Awesome. And I can be found at Shelton 2013 over on Twitter where you can also find our podcast at, at Media Plug Pods. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, which you can, is linked in the episode notes. So check that out. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page as well at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Check that out for yourself and pick the tier uh, that's right for you for supporting us. If you choose not to support us or if you can't and are unable, or are unable to, you can still find us on most of the podcast apps, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, wherever you listen to your podcasts, hopefully you can find us there. Let us know if you can't, and we'll try to get there as well. Uh, there, please, we'd really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us, subscribed, shared, all that jazz, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. And with that, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back next week with a review of Christopher Landon's follow-up to the Happy Death Day movies. And that is another sort of oddball horror comedy type film, or at least it seems like a horror comedy type film uh, called Freaky. Until then, however, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. R.I.P. Alex. (laughs) 